Good morning, church. How is everybody? Fantastic to see you. I apologize uh, for those of you that are new here. You've got a little bit of the JV squad up here. Uh, I'm not normally the one up here. Jack is usually preaching. Uh, But because of that, I feel like a little introduction is in store. Uh, My name is Bryant. I grew up actually in Wichita, Kansas, uh, and went to church my entire life. Uh, And I have a huge appreciation for so many of you that serve on a weekly basis, especially those of you that uh, serve in children's ministry or youth ministry, uh, because I very much growing up was the kid that was just at church to wreak havoc. Uh, I just wanted to make my friends laugh, make the occasional girl laugh, uh, and I was just there for all of the wrong reasons. But I was saved by grace, praise God, when I was uh, a junior in high school, and I've kind of been spending the last... uh, 10, 8 years of my life just trying to follow what God wants me to do and try to be as obedient as possible. Uh, Now, how I got here, uh, my beautiful wife, uh, Jillian Hart, uh, formerly known as Jillian Jantz, uh, has gone here pretty much her entire life, and she let me know about this job opportunity here at Grace. And so I applied and somehow got an interview, and they put me through a grueling three-hour interview Uh, (laughs) and somehow uh, they thought I was okay enough to come and work here. So I do communication stuff. Thank you. Uh, I do communication stuff and creative stuff, typically with a little bit of student stuff thrown uh, thrown in there, Uh, but that is kind of who I am. Uh, This morning, uh, I want to introduce to you a passage. You've probably read it before, but we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10 this morning. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, uh, just to be honest with you guys, straight off the bat, one of the things that I have struggled with kind of my entire life, one of the sins that comes up in my life constantly is pride. I constantly am trying to do things on my own instead of doing the way doing things the way that God wants me to do. And so this is a passage uh, that has come up many times in my life, but especially so uh, this summer in a, a season of kind of difficulty uh, and a season uh, that was extremely challenging. So we are in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. I don't hear too many pages turning, so hopefully that means uh, most of us are there. Or we're just in the digital age. Digital age. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, verse 1. Boasting is necessary. It is not profitable, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. 
So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray, church. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and that you are willing to, in our pride or in our weakness, come to our aid. God, you love us so well, and the least that we can do is, is show that back to you. So God, I pray that in this moment, uh, our hearts would be willing and ready to hear from your word. God, use me as a vessel. God, that your spirit would flow through me and out. God, I pray that this would be uh, a time of fruit and a time of learning to be more like you. God, it's in your name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so unfortunately, I do not get the luxury of uh, running through an entire book of the Bible, verse by verse by verse by verse, like some pastors that I know, <coughs> Jack. Uh, and I say that totally joking because I love Jack's preaching, but I just don't have that luxury. So I need to give you a little bit of context into uh, this passage that we are reading today. Um, so now here, Paul is the author. Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth. Uh, and he's not just writing any old letter. He's not writing down a grocery list. He's not writing a note to his uh, crush to pass it on to his crush in class. Uh, he's writing this with purpose. And there's an intention behind this letter. There's actually four reasons for why he's writing this letter. First, he wants to explain why he hadn't come earlier. He had been delayed in coming to them for a couple different reasons. Second, he wanted to encourage them to forgive and pursue reconciliation with a brother. Uh, and then three, he was reminding them that generosity is the way to go. And then fourth, kind of where we're going to camp out today, the reason, the fourth reason why he was writing 2 Corinthians is that he needed to hold his ground on his authority as apostle, as an apostle. So basically there was a small but kind of important group of people in the Corinthian church that started kind of challenging and questioning Paul's authority. They had seen what they call, or Paul calls these super apostles, uh, that were basically these uh, other teachers that were coming in. They were a little bit better looking. They had more money. They were more elegant in their speech and everything like that. And then Paul was kind of a blue-collar worker. He was somebody who made tents for a living. Uh, he was somebody that wasn't as elegant in his speech and everything like that. He lived as a servant to try to emulate Christ. Uh, and so they look at this resume and they go, uh, I don't know that we should be listening to you, Paul. We should be listening to these people. And so here in this passage where we start off, uh, Paul is kind of having to defend himself. Uh, so these last four chapters in 2 Corinthians, uh, 10, 11, 12, and 13, are all uh, Paul kind of challenging the Corinthian church. It's a challenge to the Corinthian church. Uh, but the real reason that we are even reading this today, the reason why it's even in the Bible, uh, is because it's actually a challenge to us. God has established Paul's authority already, and he wants to communicate to us as well. So I hope we uh, take that to mind, that this is a challenge for us. We are supposed to internalize this and see if this is something that we need to uh, emulate as well. 
So let's look back at the, the passage, verses 1 through 6. I know you guys have super, super short attention spans, so I've got to make sure that we refresh our minds, refresh our memories. Boasting is necessary. It is not profitable, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself except of my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. And I want to read a little bit of seven, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. So my first point this morning, uh, if you're a note taker, the back of that program that you received is where you can fill all of that out. My first point of the morning is we face the temptation to boast. We face the temptation to boast. And real quick, just so we're all on the same page here, when I talk about boasting, what I really mean is seeing yourself either above people or above God as well. Uh, so now that we've got that out of the way, remember here that Paul is having to defend himself against the Corinthians because they're trying to follow these other teachers. Um, so Paul here opens up chapter 12 with a, a little bit of a, all right, guys, you made me do this. Like, you know, the, the scene in movies where uh, the main character is like not having what the crowd is all about, and they're trying to egg him on and everything like that, and he starts walking away, but then somebody in the crowd says that, that one thing, you play ball like a girl. And so the main character slows, slowly turns back around and is like, all right, I didn't want to get involved, I didn't want to have to finish this, but I'm going to finish it. So this is a little bit of that moment for Paul in this moment. Now, he's not going to throw the first punch or anything like that, but he brings out this truth bomb that he's been sitting on for about 14 years. Uh, when you first read this passage, it kind of is a little bit confusing, right? Like he repeats himself. He's talking about this other person. Uh, and that's just the reality of us reading it in the English language. Now, what you need to know is there was actually a tradition at this time that teachers, when they were going to uh, get up in front of everybody and tell a story about themselves, instead of like seeming pompous or really full of themselves or prideful, they had this technique where if they were telling a story about themselves, they would just talk in the third person. They would speak in the third person or say, I know a guy. And so this is exactly what Paul is doing here when he's talking about these visions and revelations. He's not referring, or he is referring to himself when he says, I know a man that was caught up in visions of heaven or actually caught up to literal heaven. Paul's not totally sure here whether it was an actual vision that he was experiencing or if he was literally in heaven uh, in the presence of God. Uh, that's not necessarily the point. The point is he, either way, he's having an experience with God. Paul brings this up to say, I could have been talking about this, I could have been boasting about this all these years, all these 14 years. But in verse 5, it says, I will boast about this person, not about myself, except of my weaknesses. 
Paul's saying, okay, I'm going to follow the traditions of this time. I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to not boast in who I am. And then in verse 6, for if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. Saying, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to continue on with this. Paul had every right to boast, right? He was once the elite of the elite. He was a Pharisee. He had the entire Bible up to this point memorized. He had started churches and literally heard God's voice on the road to Damascus. Then in this verse, he literally experienced or had visions of God in the presence of God. Paul had every right to boast, but he didn't. So church, I want to ask us this question this morning. How often do we feel like we have the right to boast wrongfully in who we are or in our own ability? We sometimes have a temptation to boast in what we have done um, or how God has blessed us. Now, there's not a problem with being like good at things or receiving blessings from the Lord or accomplishing or, or any of those things, especially if we turn around and, and thank God for those immeasurable, immeasurable blessings that he's given us. But I want to ask us, where is our heart in all of those things when we boast? Often left, uh, when left to ourselves, I don't know about you, but my own sinful nature kind of takes over. And if I don't keep my heart in check, I can begin to have this, this sense of entitlement, right? Like, after all, we've, we've worked hard, right? Like, we've wanted to accomplish these things. We've, we've done all the effort and toil and difficulty. We've gone through all of that. After all, I've worked hard. Why shouldn't I receive the credit for some of these things? But man, is that a message from the world. And that is a message, a lie, that unfortunately leads down a road to destruction. Every day we face the temptation to boast in who we are or about what we have done. And maybe this is just me, uh, and I, I just got to be like honest and vulnerable with you guys for just a moment. I'm so sinful that I face the temptation to boast uh, about how God is using me in bigger ways than so-and-so. Like, I have literally compared my blessings from the Lord and been like, man, mine are way better than his. And that's just, unfortunately, that is just like the Pharisees in the Bible that Jesus calls out over and over and over again. So boasting, that's Pharisee behavior. Somebody say, Pharisee behavior. So my friends, when you are faced with the temptation to boast, remember, Jesus did not call you to be a Pharisee. He called you to be the least of these. Jesus did not call us to be Pharisees. He called us to be the least of these and not boast. Sometimes, unfortunately, we just can't help it. And that's why we need Jesus. Amen. Uh, okay, so let's take a little closer work, look at verses 7 and 8. Especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, and this is the part that we want to focus in on, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt 
myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. So here we see Paul talk about this thorn in his flesh uh, that was given to him so he would not exalt himself or boast. Before he even had the opportunity to exalt himself or boast in himself, he was given this thorn. Now, in today's day and age, when I talk about a thorn, the maybe the first couple of things that come to our mind or the images that pop up for us is like a rose, a rose that has uh, thorns on it or maybe a thorn bush or in the most extreme situations, uh, the far right picture there is uh, a locust tree that has one to two inch long uh, thorns. But really, what's probably a better translation in the Greek is a stake. And now that I've got the attention of 90% of the guys back in the room, uh, I am not talking about an S-T-E-A-K, like the Texas Roadhouse steak with those rolls that melt in your mouth and the cinnamon butter. Ooh, praise God. Uh, not that, but I'm talking about the S-T-A-K-E, the stake that gets driven into the ground to hold like a, a tent down or something like that. So this gives us, if we have that context, this gives us a little bit better image of the suffering or pain that Paul was going through and how much of an attention getter this was. I know for a lot of us, when we hear that, we can relate to that. Now, there's a little bit of speculation about what this thorn in Paul's flesh was and something that I just want to briefly touch on because I think it's interesting. Uh, it's fun for me sometimes, uh, to like dig into the, the Bible a little bit deeper and try to think about some of these things. We don't actually know for sure what the, the thorn in Paul's flesh was, but there's some people that have, uh, some scholars that have a little bit of a theory uh, about some of these things. One of them that I think makes a little bit of sense, and I like the proof for it, uh, is Paul at the beginning uh, of his Sorry, let me back up just a second. Paul might have had something wrong with his eyes, and that's kind of that, that theory, that he had something wrong with his vision and there was some sort of difficulty. Now, the reason uh, and the supporting argument for this is because at the beginning of his missionary journey, uh, he got cast out of a, a, a town. They ran him out. They threw a bunch of stones at him. They stoned him to the point where they literally thought he was dead. Like he was laying there on the ground, and they're like, okay, he's done for. We can go back to our town. Uh, and he pops up uh, after a little while, and he continues on in his missionary journey. Uh, and so some people think that he might have something wrong with his eyes, and they get that proof from Galatians chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 6. Uh, in Galatians chapter 4, he's talking to the church, uh, the Galatian church, uh, and he uh, basically is saying to them, you guys have loved me so well. You've loved me so well, I know you would even be willing to give me your own eyes. Uh, and that is kind of a, maybe an argument for him having something wrong with his eyes. And then doubles down in Galatians chapter 6, uh, and he talks about, look at the large handwriting in which I am writing this letter to you. Now, for this time period, what typically would happen is they would have somebody else uh, write down their letters for them. Uh, so Paul would typically just talk it out, and somebody else would write down his letters. But he always, uh, in his letters, would basically write his signature or his stamp of approval by signing in his own handwriting or writing out the last couple of sentences. And so he's saying, I had to write really big letters. Look at these big letters that I'm writing to you, maybe pointing to the fact that 
he had something wrong with his eyes, and he needed to see bigger letters. Um, but again, this is not the, the point. The discovery of what the thorn truly is is not the point, but more so the fact that Paul faced physical trials and sufferings just like the rest of us. And then verse 8, Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, that his suffering would leave him. So Paul is like us, or we are like Paul, in the sense that we all face trials and sufferings. Which brings me to our second point in the outline. We have the desire to avoid. People, us, the, the human race, have the desire to avoid trials and sufferings. We try to get rid of our pain in a multitude of ways. One of which, uh, muscling through it. I grew, or did not grow up, but I lived in Chicago for just a, a little while. And in Chicago, they have this weird tradition called the polar plunge. Uh, and some of you are giggling because you know what it is. Uh, but basically, in the winter, for some reason this last year, 4,000 people jumped into Lake Michigan in the middle of winter when the water was like 40 degrees. And obviously, the reaction of that is like, that's got to be cold, right? Uh, and when interviewed uh, of some of these people, their response to it was, eh, cold is a mindset, or no pain, no gain. And that is really how I feel like some of us try to handle pain and suffering, right? Especially us guys. When difficult things come our way, we like to just put our head down and just work through it. If I can just work harder, uh, get through it, then it'll all be okay. Some other ways that people try to uh, get through pain or suffering is ignoring it or numbing it, blaming it on others. Nothing is our fault. My, my trauma is my parents' fault. Uh, and just a, a, a slight side note, uh, one of my preacher friends, Chandler Snyder, uh, he is the dean of students at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, he said this quote, Sometimes we blame Satan for our own sin and weakness, when really it's just a result of our own sinful nature. We try to give Satan way more credit than he truly deserves. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not all-powerful. He's not everywhere at once. We need to sometimes quit blaming Satan for our own sinful nature in our own suffering. And then fourthly, sometimes we expect God to just take away our sufferings. Poof, it's gone. If we just ask him, it's gone. And no, of course, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with asking the Lord to relieve you uh, of your suffering or bless you. Uh, by no means am I saying that. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayers and petitions with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He wants us to do that. It's a good thing for us to run to God and ask him to be our savior. But Paul experienced suffering and didn't want it just like us. He prayed and asked God to relieve him of it three times, actually. But I think too often... Us as Christians, we expect to never have weakness, to never have uh, to experience any kind of suffering or anything like that. And a little bit of 
proof of that is this verse, Romans 8.28. Uh, I unfortunately have heard so many Christians take this a little bit out of context in reading, We know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. So many people will read that and say, oh, all things will work together for the good of those who love God. I love God. We're good. Everything's going to be good. But we forget to look at the, the last little part there, according to his purpose, according to God's purpose. Sometimes God is using our sufferings to accomplish his greater good. We can have hope in that because they are light and momentary uh, in the face of eternity. And this is, this is Paul word, Paul's words, not mine. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, the things that are unseen are eternal. He's, he's talking about the, the gospel here, the fact that us as Christians, if we give our life to Christ, we have the hope of the eternal. We have the hope of the joy that we can experience in perfection with God one day. But he also, he does give us an eternal hope, but he also gives us a glimpse of his bigger plan here on earth as well. Uh, this summer, some of you know that me and my wife uh, worked camp together. Um, we worked for Fuge Camps. A little context of what that is, is basically we were a traveling camp, went to six different locations across, uh, or sorry, four different locations across six weeks of camp over 3,000 miles. Uh, and I was the director in charge of kind of the entire camp. We had about 3,000 students, uh, and we had... Um, a staff of 25, and my wife was uh, along with me on that staff. And I would be lying to you guys if I didn't say that this summer was probably the, not probably, was the most challenging time of my life that I have ever experienced. Uh, it was the first three, first three months of our marriage, and I'm trying to be a good husband, uh, and my, my wife is thrown into a, a difficult situation that she's never experienced before, having uh, these anxiety attacks and panic attacks, and I'm trying to love her well and, and be there for her and point her towards Jesus, all while I'm being what I feel like is being ripped apart, having to also do my job and make sure that camp continues to happen and th these students continue to hear God's word. And so by the end of the camp, this last week was honestly, I don't understand why it happened. And I, I questioned. I, I wanted to ask God, like, why is this happening? Like, take this away from me, please. Like, I'm, I'm so ready to be done. I just want to go back to my bed uh, back home in Kansas and continue to live an easy life. And this last week, like I said, was more difficult than any of the other weeks because my authority was being challenged. Uh, my, like, character was being questioned. Uh, and I felt like I was just trying to do what God wanted me to do. And in all of this, I'm sure you can all relate to just feeling this weight and this burden of like, I just don't want to go through this. But God gives us glimpses into why he allows some of these things to happen to us. Uh, the last week of camp, like I said, most difficult. At the end of the week, 27 students gave their life to Christ. 
And I felt so selfish in that moment because I was like, this is a light momentary thing in the weight of eternity of 27 souls getting to be with God forever. And then another thing to just praise, at the end of the summer, we finally got the total numbers of the entire summer, and over 100 kids at just our camp alone gave their life to Christ. And that was a huge blessing and gave me a little bit of a, a glimpse of why God would allow this suffering in my life. He's got a plan here on earth as well. We have the desire to avoid our weaknesses and our sufferings, but God uses them for good. This next verse um, is kind of God's response to Paul's prayers and, them, and him asking to be relieved of this pain and suffering. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Then Paul's response to God's answer here, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of opposites here, right? Like power and weakness, boasting and weakness, taking pleasure and insults, hardships, and persecutions doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, right? What does our society say about strength, power, pleasure, and, and boasting from a worldly perspective? All those things should be in yourself, right? This is what the world wants to tell you. Uh, it should be in your abilities. You should boast in the fact that you're going bigger, better, stronger, faster, with more money than everybody else. In our society, Power and weakness are complete antonyms. They don't even belong on the same continent. But God doesn't want us to have a worldly perspective on weakness. He wants us to have his perspective on weakness and suffering. We will never have the, the right perspective as long as we try to do it on our own. Parents, uh, you will really relate to this uh, analogy or illustration so imagine you walk into a quick trip, uh, the lovely new quick trip that's going in over here in Newton. Uh, this city boy is so excited to have a quick trip within five miles of his house again. Uh, let me tell you, uh, I am pumped. But anyways, so say you walk into this quick trip and uh, you've got a little one and a half, a, a two-year-old with you, uh, a little child that's trying to learn their fine motor skills and all of these things. And uh, you get this large, this huge 44-ounce uh, soda. Uh, well, okay. I typically call it pop, but I don't want to get crucified up here if you don't say pop, so I said soda. But anyways, uh, soda pop. We'll just call it that. You get this large soda pop, and this one-and-a-half, two-year-old wants to carry it. And so you allow them, for this illustration's sake, because it wouldn't work if you didn't allow them to do this. But anyways, they grab this large soda. It's literally the size of their body. Like, it's probably as heavy as them, and they're trying to carry it to the cash register, and they're stumbling, and the, it's spilling out all over the place, and it's falling. It, like, they cannot carry the weight and the burden themselves. But if they would just allow you to help them just a little bit, like if you were able to just help them along with it, or completely 
relieve the burden that they are carrying and carry it yourself, then it would go much better for them, wouldn't it? If they would just admit their weakness, that they can't do it on their own, and allow you to help them carry it, things would go completely different for them. I mean, I, I think you see where I'm going here with this. Uh, if we're able to apply this to our own life, this gives us a completely different perspective, right? It should give us a shift in perspective. At some point, Paul had a shift in his mindset in this passage to see God's perspective, that God's grace is sufficient, that God's power is sufficient. No matter what, we know that God's grace and power is perfect already, right? Despite anything we do, we know this, that God is perfect. But for some reason, he has chosen to show it off the most in the moments that we choose to admit our own weaknesses and elevate him. So what is weakness in this context that we're talking about? What does Paul really mean when he's talking about boasting and weakness? Weakness is not what our society would try to tell us, that's for sure. Boasting in weakness is not, look at me, I can't even do one push-up, I'm so weak. Like, that's obviously not what we're talking about here. Boasting in weakness in this context is, uh, is having the humility to admit. Boasting in this context is having the humility to admit. What I mean by that is we are to take joy in the fact that we are not God that our human condition has made us weak and vulnerable and acceptable to this whole list of sufferings, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. But despite all of that, if we take on the perspective and have that perspective shift that Paul did, that God's grace is sufficient over all, that God's power is sufficient over all, then that should move us to humility. We do not have the power to overcome any of these weaknesses that we have on our own. We need the humility to admit that we are not able, but he is. We must make God greater and make ourselves smaller. In our weakness, his grace is sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. But more like in our humility to recognize we need grace, his grace is sufficient. In our weakness, his power is perfected. Yes, absolutely. But in our humility to recognize that we cannot do it on our own, only he can, his power is perfected in us. Like a two-year-old in a quick trip, recognizing that they need help carrying a 44-ounce drink. We need to recognize our weakness, our inability, and our need for a Savior that can do it all. And I want to close with this. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 uh, is a passage that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, I unfortunately have had this problem with pride for a lot of my life. And so this passage is a phenomenal reminder of the humility that Christ showed to come to this earth and die for our sake. So second, sorry, Philippians 2, verses 5 
through 11 says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that was above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God's glory was displayed in Jesus' weakness. God's grace was established in Jesus' weakness. God's sovereignty was proclaimed in Jesus' weakness. And God's power over sin and death was completed in Jesus' weakness. Jesus was, he very easily could have avoided the suffering, right? But by humbling himself below man and below God, God's glory, love, compassion, grace, kindness were all put on full display in a way that I will never understand. If you don't know what I'm talking about here, uh, about this display that I will never understand, uh, I'm talking about the gospel. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created it perfectly, uh, and he created man and woman to live in a perfect relationship with him. We walked with him, we talked with him. Uh, but sin uh, entered the world. We went against what God wanted for our lives. We ran away. And we can see this in all of the, the evil, all of the bad that goes on in our world, in the, the death, the sin, the difficulties, the, the shames, the sufferings, you name it. All of that is all around us. And we were supposed to be eternally separated from God, or at least we were supposed to. But we weren't left there. Praise God. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life that we could not live, died a death that he did not deserve, and rose again, signifying that he has power over death, sin, and shame. And now, because of that, because of that, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he is God of the universe, we can be saved, giving us the ability to live like Christ, to live a life free from eternal sin and death and be restored one day uh, again with God. That is the good news. That is the gospel. Jesus was the ultimate example for us. If you haven't made the decision to put your trust in, in Jesus, there's going to be some pastors down here uh, up front after service, uh, some elders that would love to kind of walk through that with you. Maybe discover with you what that truly means in your life and giving your life to Christ. I hope, Grace, that this message was beneficial to you. Uh, definitely was a message that I needed to hear. Um, I love you guys. I'm so glad to be here with you and to be serving alongside you. Uh, let's keep doing it. Okay? Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that even in our difficulties, our sufferings, uh, in our health issues, in um, family conflict, in all of the difficult things that we face, Lord, there's a hope in you. There's a hope in the fact that you can give us love, joy, peace, goodness over all of that. But also and ultimately, God, that you sent your son to die on a cross for us so that we could have eternal life eternally in heaven in perfection with you. God, I pray that we would move towards humility. God, that uh, in our weakness, we would recognize that you are far more able to defeat any of those things than we are. God, I pray that we would recognize that, that we would move towards that uh, every single day. God, thank you for this church family. God, I pray that we would lean on each other, we would rely on one another. God, that we would love you with all that we have. God, make us more like you. We want to be more like you. God, it's in your name I pray. Amen.